You know what? We have been going through a series called Heart of the Master, knowing who Jesus Christ is inside and out, knowing his heart for moving in the lives of people. As we get to know him, it changes us, doesn't it? Today, we're actually looking at the heart of the master, the merciful heart, the one who moves where he didn't have to move, the one who forgives where he didn't have to forgive. And as we've looked back at him as teacher and healer and admonisher, today we see him as the one who lavishes upon us even when he didn't have to and who forgives when he certainly didn't have to. The merciful heart. That's where we're going. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And as I'm going to start with a story piece first and then we'll dive into the word. So I'll have the ushers come up in just a second. But I'm going to dive into the story first. Let me just tell it first. Think of it from the perspective of one of the Jews, okay? As we look at Luke 19, this is the story of Zacchaeus. A lot of us have heard it before, so we kind of tune out. But a lot of us don't know some details that went on in it. What did it look like to a bystander in the Jewish community? It probably looked something like this, all right? You know, I remember last week. Oh, I remember it well. I remember we were in Jericho, my hometown. And I'm just telling you, that it was a bizarre set of circumstances. As I walked through the town and saw all these crowds gathering, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. It was that Jesus. It was that guy who was on his way through the communities, on his way up to Jerusalem, which is where he went. And I'll tell you, as he got outside of our city, he took a blind man and he healed him like that. And let me tell you, that drew a crowd. All of a sudden, he had people all around him, kind of this hubbub of people moving through, the, moving through the town of Jericho. And as he slowly moved along, talking, laughing, joking, most people were looking for that moment where they could actually experience something like being healed from the blindness. I remember as I watched this crowd kind of all tight around him, and I saw this little guy, you know, the guy we all can't stand, the tax collector, Zacchaeus, as he was trying to push his way in, he couldn't see a thing. I'm not that much taller than him, but let me tell you, I could see enough. I could at least see Jesus' head through. The, he couldn't even see that. That's how little he was. And as he was trying to push in, as he was trying to make his way through, didn't work. And all of a sudden I watched him as he turned and he hiked up his tunic and he started running down the street away from it. And I'm watching him and I'm going, where are you going and what are you doing? And stop acting like a kid. And he got to a tree and he stopped and he climbed the tree. Yes, he climbed it. A grown adult wearing it. Yes, he climbed it. Okay. And as he got up in that tree, hanging out above everyone, sometimes maybe revealing a little more than I prefer. <laughs> And as he's up there in that tree, I'm just telling you, I was not very comfortable with what he's thinking about. And here goes the crowd moving through the streets following Jesus. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, this ought to be good. And when Jesus gets to underneath where Zacchaeus is at, yeah, he stopped. And I thought, time to be blistered. What are you doing running through the town, young man? What are you doing climbing trees? I expected it to be a rough moment. And he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, 
He called him by his name. I, I don't even know how he knew him. And, and the man looked down at him, almost dumbfounded. You, you, you'd have had to have seen his face. Like, how did he know who I was? And Jesus said, come down right now. Hurry it up. I'm going to your house. Okay, now I'm really appalled. So we've got a guy running through the streets, and now I've got this guy, Jesus, who's doing what no good Jew should do, which is invite yourself to somebody's house. And the whole thing starts train wrecking as far as I'm concerned. And Zacchaeus jumps down from that tree as fast as he can, and he's standing next to him. He's like, great, let's go. And so what does Jesus do? He goes to that tax collector's house, that sinner's house, and he spends the day with, with that guy. Are you kidding me? And as I walked along with the crowd, I wanted to see what he was going to do. So I followed him. I went over to Zacchaeus' house. You bet I did. And I hung out outside, and I'm kind of listening in a little bit to see what's going on. And do you know that they were like laughing and talking? They're joking and sharing. And Zacchaeus is talking about changed life. And all of a sudden, I heard Zacchaeus, in the midst of us grumbling about him being a sinner, stand up. And he says these words. I am changed. I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor right now. I'm cutting it. Half to the poor. And let me tell you, anybody I've defrauded, 4X back to them. Yeah, I know the Jewish law about sheep and all that stuff, but I'm doing it because of money too. I'm giving 4X back to anybody I've defrauded. Think about what he just did. Give up half, then give 4X of anything that you defrauded. He's probably living on 10, 20% of what he originally had. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, show off. And Jesus stands up and says, today, salvation has come to this home. What? That sinner? Are you? And as he turned and he looked at Zacchaeus, he said, you are a Jew, a lost Jew. And I've come to seek and save the lost. This has been a good day. That was my experience in watching Zacchaeus come to know this Jesus and follow after him. Blows me away still. That's the story of Zacchaeus coming right out of Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You know, let's turn to that passage, Luke 19, 1 through 10. The ushers are going to come forward. They've got Bibles. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time going verse by verse through this passage and seeing what we can learn from it, okay? So if you want a Bible, if you need a Bible to put into your hands, just raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you, okay? Just raise your hands and the ushers will get a Bible to you. Let's start, Luke 19. You know, what question is he answering here? It's this simple. How does a merciful Jesus act? And how should I respond to this merciful Jesus? How does a merciful Jesus act and how should I respond? That's what we're looking for, okay? So we start out here, the first point, Jesus' merciful heart stirs us, regardless of our past, excitedly pursue him. Jesus' merciful heart stirs us, regardless of our past, excitedly pursue. Take a look at what we learn here, in verse, starting out in verse 1. It says, he, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now let's get this straight, okay? What is Jericho? Probably it's a... Um, it's a town where there would have been customs. There was probably a significant amount of checks and balances because this was a border city. It was most likely a key place for a customs station. Jericho, it was that place, you remember? Joshua 
and he's watch, marching around seven times and the walls come. Yeah, that's this place, okay? There's a lot of rich history in and around this town, this city. And as we have Jesus walking in, he's about 17 miles east of Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's where he's headed. Remember, the Savior has a call. He's on the move towards Jerusalem, towards the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. And he's at a stopping point in Jericho, one of those towns that has huge tradition and history. Now, there's some other things we learn about Jericho. We'll see it in just a second here as we run into this first character. It says, Jericho was, uh, he was passing through Jericho, verse 2, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. Okay, just, you might want to write this down, but the name Zacchaeus means righteous one. Hear the irony in this? Okay, righteous one. So just get prepared. We're being set up for a great ironic turn of events. All right. So Zacchaeus, righteous one. Yeah, right. Okay. That's what we're supposed to say when we see it. It says, verse three, he was, or I'm sorry, at the end of verse two, he was a chief tax collector and was rich. Okay. He was a chief tax collector. So here's the irony. Righteous one, chief tax collector. Righteous one, thief. Okay, that's what's being said here in these two verses back to back. That's how we're supposed to see it. It's supposed to get a little chuckle out of us. We're supposed to go, oh, yeah, right, righteous one. I get it. Okay, fine. All right, chief tax collector. What does that mean? Well, first, tax collectors. In this city, because it was a through port, most likely what was happening is they collected three different kinds of monies. First, they, they collected taxes, which meant whatever you made, you pay a part of. We know that one well, right? So they collect taxes. The other thing is they had tolls. If you were passing through the city, you had to pay to walk through the city. You had to pay a toll. And, and third, not only did you have taxes and tolls, but you had customs. So if you came in with property like a sheep or doves or monies or linens or whatever, you would have to pay for that. So they're making money off of you making money. They're making money off of you walking through and they're making money off of you bringing stuff in. Are you feeling it? Okay, that's the angst that these people are all in. They're just making money off of us no matter which way we turn. Can you hear it? These tax collectors are taking everything from us. And worse than that, it's the Romans that are taking it. But our own Zacchaeus, a Jew, has gone to the other side and helped them. And not only is he now a tax collector and a traitor, but he's the chief tax collector. He has people reporting to him. Let's just put it this way. He's making a lot of money even if he didn't steal. Being in that position where all that money is rolling through, he's making good cash flow, okay? That's what's being said. And he didn't have to steal to get it. He was rich. Turns out he did steal to get some, but he didn't even have to do that. That's the setup that we have so far. Jericho, chief tax collector, and it says in verse 3 now, and he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. Was seeking to see who Jesus was. You see, in that moment, he had been stirred. There's a crowd, and they're excited. And their hubbub is getting loud. It's getting large. They've just seen a blind man healed. They're wanting and expecting much. And he's coming in and saying, maybe I'd like to see a little bit of this. Who is this Jesus? What does he have to do or say for me? What could I learn? What could I see? What could I... He's beginning to be stirred and he's going after him. He's trying to pursue a little bit and find out who this Jesus is. The irony is we're going to find out in point number three that it's actually Jesus seeking him. But at the moment, his heart's being stirred and he's stepping towards him. 
It says in verse 3 there, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. Okay, small of stature. So I looked this up. The average Jew in and around the zero BC was about five foot three, five foot four. Okay, so to be considered small of stature in that domain, you would probably be about four foot eight to four foot eleven. Okay, so he's running somewhere in about this. So some of you are like, oh, cool, I'd be like normal size there, right? So he's running right about this height. So this is the height of Zacchaeus running around. Like, you know, head and shoulders above is pretty much where everybody else is standing, okay? So we have Zacchaeus, short or small of stature, running around trying to see over the tops of people. Can you see it, you know, as he's trying to jump and see over and he just can't even get up to their shoulder barely? That's what's going on, okay? This is the Zacchaeus that's wrestling with trying to see who Jesus is. You know, the question is, what stirred him? the very center of who God was, was beginning to stir in the heart of Zacchaeus and draw him. How about you? Are you being stirred and drawn by who Jesus is? Is there anything that he's doing or anything you've been reading or anything you've been hearing? It's time to start responding and excitedly pursue. Step out in that. He's drawing and stirring in each one of us. And if we're missing the stir, then maybe we need to set some other things down because the master is calling us to know him better. Are you ready? Are you pursuing? Are you looking over the tops and looking around and getting prepared to maybe have to get more aggressive if you're going to have to see him? But it's time to meet my master better, tighter, more real than I've ever known him before. If you already know him as your savior, to know him deeper and richer. And if you haven't met him, to say, I don't even know what it means to have a relationship. I'd like to find out about that. It's time to excitedly pursue as Jesus stirs in our hearts. That's our first point, okay? Is as the merciful heart reaches out to us, excitedly pursue, excitedly pursue. And notice he does it regardless of the past. Look who he's reaching out to. He's reaching out to someone who does not have his act together. He's reaching out to someone who has messed up in so many ways, but he's looking for that soft heart that will respond to him. Are you ready to pursue? Are you ready to set down whatever's in the way and go after him? That's the first point. Excitedly pursue. The second point, Jesus' merciful heart invites us to relationship. Joyfully accept. Jesus' merciful heart invites us to relationship joyfully accept. Let's start in verses four and five. Look at what he says here. Luke's capturing this. It says, so he ran on ahead, he being Zacchaeus, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. It was just like I was saying in the story, we've got him trying to look over the top and he just can't see a thing. So what does he do? He hikes up whatever he's wearing and he turns and he starts running. A good Jew never runs never runs. An adult male running through the community, that's unheard of. The only time you run is when it's war and then you're dressed for it. What are you doing running? That would be the first question the community would have asked watching this man. Now, it's not only bad enough that a Jew is running, but more than that, we have the rich Jew, the tax collector, 
the chief tax collector. This is a man of prominence within the Roman community for sure. And he's running across the open street to try to get to a point ahead of the crowd. And then he climbs the tree. Ridiculous. Okay? Shouldn't happen. The bozo no-no. You know what I'm talking about? Like, don't go there. Okay? That's something you shouldn't be doing. Tradition, not law. Remember we talked about that last week. Just because a custom or a tradition in the society says don't do it, doesn't mean it's wrong to do. Zacchaeus trying to get to a spot where he can meet his master. There's a powerful moment of his heart starting to engage with the stirring that's going on. It says, so he ran and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up. Okay, now this was a moment where everybody there would have gone, oh brother, here we go. What were you doing running and climbing that tree? You know what I mean? We're about ready to get that moment of chastisement. So as he stops and he looks up, the average Jew would have thought, busted. All right? That was the word coming to everybody's mind in whatever their colloquial terms were. All right? Busted. That's it. It's done. You should not have done what you just did. Knock that off. Okay? Now he's up in the tree with Jesus looking up at him. What would you be thinking if you were him? Oh, this is really cool. Hey, this is great. I'm really glad he's looking at me now. Or would you be thinking, should have chosen a tree further away from the path? You know what I mean? This was a tough moment as he's not sure what's coming next. And then he hears Zacchaeus. Oh, great. Now he even knows my name. Can you just imagine, you know how your mind runs faster than your mouth always? You know what I'm talking about? Your mind is running way ahead and you're thinking of a million things. There's no way he was thinking, this is really exciting. He knows my name. He's thinking, not a good moment. And then he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry, come down, I'm staying with you. Now we're going to see how Zacchaeus responds in just a minute. But we get a special invite from Jesus Christ What's our answer? You know, no thanks. Tree's pretty good up here. I'm good. Why don't you guys just keep on moving? I'm cool right where I'm at. Go ahead. You know, is that, is that how he's going to respond? You know, we have to think about this. When we get the invitation from Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him, are we in the no thanks? I've got my own thing. I got my own stuff going on. Or are we in the, this is unbelievable. What a privilege and an opportunity to know the creator, the master, the savior personally to be invited to spend a day with him moving in my life. God at work. God at work. First he stirred, and now he's getting reaction and response. He's inviting and looking to see what happens. You know, I put joyfully accept. What we end up with here is Jesus doing something that most Jews wouldn't do as well. He kind of, in a way, what happened is Zacchaeus broke some traditions by running and climbing a tree, so Jesus walks up and says, traditions are nothing. Let me break one for you too. I'm inviting myself to your house. Okay? Now the average Jew would typically not invite himself to somebody else's house. That's horrifying. You invite them to your house, that's hospitable. Inviting you to their house, that's selfish. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, how about if I go over to your house? We'll have a good meal. You know, that's kind of, you're kind of putting yourself into their way and making them do the nice things for you. So Jesus sort of steps over a line as well and says, coming to your house, let's go. Now, either he is truly clueless of tradition 
or he is making a strong statement of authority and a strong statement of relationship. Which one do you think it is? Jesus Christ stepping into his life to make a difference. You know, we all too often can be challenged where Jesus is challenging us to have a relationship with him, where he's calling us and inviting us to step out with him, and we choose the sycamore tree over going with him. Where are you at right now in your walk? And what's he inviting you to? What level of commitment of relationship is he inviting you to with him where you're saying, no thanks, where I'm at's pretty good right now. It's time to let go of it and jump into his arms and move in relationship with him. What's he calling you to? I can tell you this. He's calling you to the most passionate relationship you could ever have. He's calling you to the greatest change you could ever have. He's calling you to a merciful relationship with the God of the universe as he changes your life from the inside out. He is calling you to experience the power of the creator at work in you and in me. How often do we say, no thanks, I'll take the sycamore tree. What a miss, right? It's time to go after our Savior with passion. It's time to take up his invite with great joy and excitement and run to him and be with him and spend time with him, whether it's time in the word or time in prayer, time learning of who he is and what he calls you to. Know him with all you've got. Accept that relationship invite and go after it. Are you ready to let go of your sycamore tree? Where is it that you feel a little more comfortable? A little bit hidden. It's time to let go. It's time to go after him. So first, we pursue excitedly. Second, we joyfully accept as his merciful heart is stirring us and drawing us. And the last point here, Jesus' merciful heart offers salvation. Respond from the heart. Jesus' merciful heart offers salvation. Respond from the heart. Let's just take it to the close here, verses 6 to 10. Look what it says. So he, Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Okay, take a look at what Jesus said to do. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down. All right, do you hear it? It's supposed to be that simple. We're supposed to get a chuckle out of it. Oh, he was pretty obedient. He was in the moment. He's doing what he's asked to be done. Come down here now. Boom. That's what's going on. We're going to your house. Let's go. That's what's going on. With joy, with excitement, with hurriedness, with obedience, Zacchaeus is all over this thing. So he hurried and came down and received him eh, with a little bit of happiness. Is that what it says? Joyfully. What does that word mean? It's like a God-given innate sense of satisfaction and calmness in knowing the master. A God-given innate calmness. In knowing the master. That's joy. That's why we can have joy when problems are going on. Because it's not about things going well or things going right. It's about God at work in me. Amen? It's about God at work in me. Amen? That's what it's going after. It's going after a relationship with him. How do we get joy promised to us? John chapter 15. If we abide in him. Relationship with him. That's where joy comes from. Not in stuff we own, not in a comfortable spot, but in knowing him personally. That's where joy comes from. And how did he respond? Joyfully. Are you hearing it? 
We're getting a statement of salvation going on in this man. He goes from stirred to seeking to responding with joy. He's starting to be touched by the heart of the merciful master. Verse 6 says, so he came down and he received him joyfully. Verse 7 says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. You know, they, right? How many times are we talking to go, you wouldn't believe what they said, right? We don't know who they is necessarily, but it's they, you know, the big over there people who are against me, whatever's going on, right? The they crowd, right? If you go back and you look in this passage, there's actually only one plural noun that's used, crowd. So the, the big word in grammar is antecedent. What's the noun that's used to define the they? It's the crowd. So this crowd is following, this crowd is watching over, this crowd is taking part in, this crowd is grumbling, this crowd is upset, this crowd is not happy. Well, what are they saying exactly? Well, glad you asked. Luke actually records it for us. Verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in the guest, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Exactly. Right? That's the whole answer we're supposed to say. Everybody say it with me. Exactly. One more time. Exactly. That's the point. Okay? You see, they're looking and they're going, why isn't he with the Pharisees? Why isn't he with somebody who seems like on the outside they've got it all together? And the answer is, he'll tell us in a little bit that he's there to seek and save the lost. What is he doing with that sinner? Well, you just got the whole point. He's come to be with them. He's come to be with us. He's come to be with me. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous. Nobody. Not one. Romans 3.23. All have sinned. What's he doing with that sinner? Why would you rather he be with that sinner? Which sinner do you want him with? What are you talking about? We're all sinners, right? The perspective is completely messed up. All they're doing is looking at the externals. They're missing the heart of it. So when we see him say, he is with the sinners, we say, exactly. That's who our merciful Savior is. Exactly. Now you've caught the passion of who my Savior is. Exactly. And you can only imagine the crowd's answer when you say, he's with that sinner. Exactly. (laughs) What? No, that's not how it works, man. How it works is you try to do all the law. And you try to do it really well externally. And then, what are you talking about exactly? So Jesus kind of clarifies it. Zacchaeus here stands up. He's totally stirred by the Savior. And he responds, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood. Now, some of your passages actually say Zacchaeus stopped. This Greek word here actually means stood still. Okay, that's what it means. So it could either be you're doing this and you go... Now I've done that, ver- that verb. I've stood still. It could also mean that you were sitting and you do this. You kind of go. Okay. Either way, that verb's accurate. So some have chosen to think that it means stood because he was probably reclining and eating. Others have chosen that maybe it means stopped. Either way, it basically means he's about ready to present and he is immobile. He's not walking along. He is stopped and he's standing and he's making a statement. What's his statement? His statement is, behold, Lord. Behold who? Lord. Can you hear his heart coming around? Can you hear him saying, I am about ready to throw everything into your lap. Behold. It means look upon this, right? We've talked about this before. How many of us say behold? 
Do you, do you say that? Right? You get done cleaning up the kitchen, the floor looks nicely mopped, and you get done and you go, behold. Right? Wouldn't you like to say that? I mean, seriously, wouldn't you like to say that? Right? Get a little bit of attention for the work done, right? Behold. He's, a, he's saying, behold, Lord, look at what's about to happen here. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. I'm cutting what I own in half and I'm giving that to the poor. I still have half left. That's a lot. Let me tell you. Anybody I've defrauded, 4X going to them. Okay? Now, here's something we need to understand. In the law, actually what we have going on, Exodus uh, is very clear that when you steal, if you've stolen a sheep and you either kill it or sell it, then you owe four times that many sheep back. Okay? So he's actually taking the law and he's applying it to his cash flow. And he's saying, look, I don't really have the exact thing that I should be doing from the law, but I have a principle. And the principle is whatever you took, you give back more. So I'm giving 4X of what I took back. I'm trying to at least adhere to the law now, right? You know me, the one who was lying, defrauding, and stealing. I'm now the one going, how do I follow the law to make restitution? Do you hear it? He's following after him with all he's got. He's going after him. So he says he gives half. And then for anyone I've defrauded, I restore it fourfold. Now Jesus' response. And this is the, the capstone. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. What he's not saying is, wow, I'm glad you decided to give 4X back. Now I'll save you. That's not what he's saying. Remember when we talked about this, we said, what kind of faith saves us? It's a faith that changes us. You see, we can say we believe, but if it doesn't change our heart and our actions, that's not belief. True belief, it changes the core of who we are and it changes our very actions. And when Jesus is looking, he's able to discern the heart and he sees this giving away of stuff and he says, guess what? I just watched a rich man make a commitment to let go of his money. Guess what? I just watched a heart change. Is this sounding familiar? Are you remembering Luke 18? We just preached this two weeks ago, right? And we talked about the teacher's heart. And he had come face to face with a rich man who had said he did all the law. And then Jesus said, well, it seems like you're gripping a little tightly to the stuff. You need to let go of it. And he went away dejected because he refused. In Matthew 6, it says, you cannot love both God and money. It doesn't say you can't have money and love God, but you can't love both God and money. Your center, your passion, your, your vision towards who God is can't be about money. And he said, it's as hard as that big hairy beast of a camel going through the, the eye of a needle. But anything is possible with God. We just saw a God moment. Zacchaeus, the big hairy beast camel, just went through the eye of a needle. And his heart was changed for an eternity. Amen? Zacchaeus... His heart was changed, and we have that chance as well. God declaring, today salvation has come to this home. You are a different person from knowing me. You have gone hard after me, and it's changing your actions and your behaviors. Praise be to God. And he closes with this. He says, since he also is a son of Abraham, he's a Jew. And guess what? For the son came to seek and save the lost, the Jews who have been lost. You, my friend, are who I've come for. Praise be to God. A moment has just occurred. When we talk about the rich man, 
Let's use it as an illustration to compare the two. We had the rich man of a couple weeks ago. He refused to let go of the stuff that he had in order to go after Jesus. And now we look at Zacchaeus holding the stuff and he goes, how much do I have to get rid of? It's you I want to hold on to. It's you I want to go after. I want to have a relationship with you with all I've got. I want it to change all of me inside and out. Here goes the stuff. I don't care. I am not clinging into it anymore. It was motivating me no more. It's done. Praise be to God. I'm following after you. That's where we need to be. A passionate living savior that we can go after with all we've got. Not like the rich man who walked away dejected, holding on. But like Zacchaeus, who dropped it right where he stood and grabbed it with all he's got. You know, we have a chance to respond to the invite. We have a chance to respond to the relationship. And please hear me. In this passage, this is not what it's about. That we come to salvation through giving up stuff. That's a reflection on the outside of what's happened on the inside. We need to accept and understand that we serve a holy and righteous God. Holy and righteous God. And he's passionate about what's right. And he tells us that when we come up short, which all of us have, for all have sinned and come up short of the glory of God, when we come up short, there's one payment, eternal separation. And his holiness and righteousness demands it. But that would be unfulfilling because he's loving and merciful as well. And so his love and mercy provides a replacement payment at the cross. And the tension of holiness and righteousness and love and mercy places him at the cross, providing a replacement payment for you and for me. And as we come to that invite, and as we embrace that passionate knowledge of knowing him, we have a chance for, as one of the dedication verses here, Ephesians 3, for his power to be at work in us, to know him passionately and personally for all of eternity. Now that's an invite worth accepting. Amen? Now that's an invite worth going after. We may be sitting on whatever sycamore tree it is today, but he's calling you to a deeper, more intense relationship with him. Right now, it's time to commit. He is mighty to save and he is mighty to change. Praise be to God. Amen.